morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. Just give me a moment. Let me get myself sorted. Um, Trevor, I did not give you or the guys warning, so this may or may not work. Are you able to get the camera up on screen over there? And uh, let me just kind of get this ready. I'm wondering if you're able to zoom in on this. Is this something we can do? You're not going to be able to? Okay, that's fine. So I'm just going to put that up there. For those that can't read, it's 2023, coldest night of the year. So for those up there, 2023, coldest night of the year. Uh, And it says, top fundraiser. You can read that? Anybody? (laughs) Brian Lowe. Just going to leave that there for a little bit. I'm quite proud of my little plaque that I have. I'm hoping to add to it this year. Uh, They don't give out a whole lot of those per group, as the name implies. Top. Um, Although both Hannah and I actually need to be worried because Diane Rowan's granddaughter is ahead of us in the list right now, so I think she, uh, she might end up taking home that, that plaque this coming year. Um, but you know, if you want to help me add to my collection, I would love that. I would love you for that. And you know how to, to do that and how to add to it so that, you know, the, the office banter can continue, but that the office order can remain as it should be. Because I don't know about you, but I really don't like being wrong. Yes, yes, I know. I know that I am often wrong, but I don't like it. I certainly don't like admitting it. I might not know everything, even though I sometimes pretend I do know This is why I actually hate the fact that we can now Google things straight away. Remember the time before Google, you could with confidence say something and be like, that's a fact, and nobody could argue with you. Now it's kind of like, well, let me just check with Auntie Google, and we'll figure out whether you do know this or not. And so I'm proved wrong a little too often, but I don't like it. But there is actually something I don't like more than being wrong. I don't like... When I'm talking to someone and that person doesn't like being wrong. Or or that person has to be right in the conversation the whole time. You ever had those experiences where you're talking with someone and it just becomes apparent pretty quickly, okay, this person just needs to be right. And that happened with me this past week. I was talking with someone and very quickly in the conversation, I realized, okay, they're not going to be happy unless they are right the whole time. And so, Brian, you just need to back off and just relax. It's okay. In your heart, you're right. You're bigger than them. Let it go. (laughs) So last week, if you are joining us for the first time this morning in person or online, you've joined us this morning. Last week, we began a new series uh, from Romans chapter 12. And the series is called How to Be Right All the Time. I genuinely believe that we can, in fact, be right all the time. And I believe that Romans chapter 12 shows us how to be right 
all the time. And that's why we are going to spend six weeks in total in one chapter. Coming to grips with understanding what does it mean to be right all the time and how do I live in light of being right all the time. Last week I laid the foundation from the opening verses of Romans 12 as well as a summary of Romans chapter 1 through to Romans chapter 11 that the foundation has to be right with God. I cannot be right anywhere else before I am right with God. In fact, it, it makes no difference if I think I'm right in this one little area of my life over here, but I'm not ultimately and fundamentally right with God. That's where it starts. I must be right with God. One scholar once said, if we truly realized how short our lives were and how quickly we will be forgotten when we're gone, we would spend more time worrying about what God thinks of us than what others do. I love that thought. If we really understood, if we really came to grips with how short our lives ultimately are, and how quickly we're going to be forgotten, well then surely I need to worry about, well, what does God think about me? Who am I in relation to God? What is my relationship with God like? And so therefore, if I want to be right, I must start with being right with God. And thankfully I can because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Through Jesus' death, I am reconciled to God. And because of his resurrection, I'm able to live with the help of the Holy Spirit within me. The Bible uses the theological term righteousness. In fact, I read from Romans chapter 3 last week in Romans chapter 3 verse 21 to 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And Paul goes on to say that we are declared righteous in Christ. And so therefore, we are right with God. And, and of course, that begs the question, well, how do I receive that righteousness? How is it that I can be declared right with God? Well, as Romans explains to us, we receive it by faith. When we believe that Jesus Christ did what you and I could not do in reconciling us to our Heavenly Father, when I receive that gift of grace given freely, that's when I'm declared righteous. In fact, Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 3, and we all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, and, and we quote that often. But in John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And it's this image that the moment I believe, I have eternal life. It's not that I'm waiting for something in the future. It is from this moment. I have eternal life because I have faith in Jesus Christ. When you believe by faith, you have it right here, right now. Okay, so great. I'm right with God. Now what? Well, let's continue the journey. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read Romans chapter 12 again today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So as Paul writes this passage, this chapter to us, or this portion of his letter to Rome, he begins with worship as a fitting response to God's mercy. Or as I spelt out last week, the starting place of being right with God. And everything else follows on from that. Romans chapter 12 goes on from there that once we start with being right with God, well then we need to consider ourselves and thereafter other people. So my plan for this series is last week to consider being right with God. Today, consider being right with self. Next week, we'll look at right with others. And then the remaining three weeks, we'll practically unpack those as to what does that look like in my daily life. And so today, as we consider right with self. But before I talk about being right with self, I do need to just give a very quick disclaimer. Because there are two topics I'm not going to cover, even though they would be part of being right with self. They might come out when we look at them practically, but today I'm going to kind of gloss over and ignore them. Not because they're not important, they are crucially important. 
But they can distract from the high-level view of understanding what does it even mean to be right with self. So the two topics I'm not looking at today are self-care or mental health. I have spoken about those before and how necessary and important those categories are to look after self and to be aware of mental health issues and to help one another and to journey with one another. But today I'm not covering those. And as I said, I'm not getting super practical. Today I want to come to an understanding with a high-level overview of what does it mean to be right with self. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. The point I want to make today, or the point I want to drive home today, is once I am right with God, I need to be right with self. And that means I need to see myself correctly or see myself biblically, see myself how God sees me. And so in order to see myself correctly, to see myself as God sees me, to see myself as the Bible explains and says I look, there are really just two headings or two points this morning. My two points are simply going to be identity and that terrible H word. Humility. It is my belief that we live in a world where the overwhelming majority of people do not know whose they are and therefore do not know who they are and have become so swept up in the rampant individualism and the unchecked narcissism which is so evident around us that it creates turmoil and conflict. In fact, I genuinely believe that the turmoil and the conflict that we largely see in the world today and that we experience on a daily basis is because of unhealthy individualism and narcissism. The only way I counteract that and confront that is by understanding my identity, whose I am, and walking in humility, who I am. So let's think about identity for a few moments this morning. Whose am I? Notice I'm not saying, who am I under identity? And I think for some of us, you might be going, wait a minute, that sounds wrong. Identity is me. It's, it's who am I? But that's what the scriptures teach us. My identity is never in relation to myself alone. I don't live as this little isolated island with no contact and no connection. No. I always live in relation to other. And the Bible begins by saying the primary, the first relation, the first connection is God. Whose am I? If I want to be right all the time, if I want to be right with self, I start by being right with God and therefore I acknowledge I belong to God. In fact, Paul first sets the tone in the book of Romans that when we approach God, we are sinners in need of grace. We are separated from God. We are helpless and hopeless. And when I begin to consider myself in relation to God, I have to be aware that I am less than. This isn't an equal partnership thing. God isn't just my homeboy that I can kind of fist bump and there we go. No. God is awesome, omnipotent, 
omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful. I'm made of dust. And so I have to see myself in relation to God, acknowledging that my identity is wrapped up in whose I am. Romans chapter 8 does a wonderful job of helping us make sense of our identity. I won't read the whole of Romans chapter 8. I just want to read some of the opening verses and then the closing verses of Romans 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. This won't be on the screen. But Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 5, (coughs) excuse me, and then 37 to 39. Paul says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And then jumping all the way to the end in verse 37, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I know you're sitting there going, Brian, what on earth does Romans 8 have to do with identity? Well, I'm glad you asked. The whole council of Scripture drives home a few facts for us. One of those facts is that we are created by God. We're created in His image to live in relationship with the triune Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit. God created me, and God loves me. God created you, and God loves you. Now, it's my guess that most of us, whether online or in person in the room today, it's my guess that most of us don't have a problem with that fact. Whether you believe or not, whether you would call yourself a Christian or not, my guess is you're okay with this idea that God loves me. So what does Romans chapter 8 add to this? Well, I think what Paul drives home in Romans 8, as well as other portions, is not only that God loves me, but it is that God likes me. He wants me to experience a relationship with Him, a friendship with Him. And my friendship and my relationship with God is wrapped up in my identity as His child. Yes, I'm justified. Yes, I'm declared righteous. My sins are covered. And yes, nothing will separate me from the love of God for all eternity. But not only does God love me, God likes me. And it might be that there are some of you here this morning who've never fully heard that fact. That God likes you. It's possible that you've been walking around with sin or shame 
or guilt over some event or something that you've done. And you might kind of sit there going, well, I can kind of understand that God's forgiven me and he loves me, but this sin is so heinous that there's no ways God could like me. My brothers, my sisters, God likes you as his child. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples, but in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, we understand that Jesus might be talking to a small crowd, but he is talking to all his disciples, all his followers that will come. So therefore, Jesus is talking to you today. And Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 14 to 16, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, at last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. My identity is set. I am a child of God. That is who I am. Now, yes, I, I might have wrapped up in who I am a whole bunch of other facts, I know that. I'm, I'm a white guy. I'm a middle-aged man. I'm a, a father, a husband, a child, a parent. I, I, I'm, I'm a pastor. I do all these things. And while those contribute a little bit to my personality, they don't fundamentally make or set my identity. My identity is set in God. I am his child. He loves me. And he likes me. If I want to be right all the time, I need to know whose I am. Who I belong to. And once I understand that, then I can live accordingly. And I can go on and do all the things. Whose am I? Identity. But I said that being right with self isn't only a matter of my identity. It's also a matter of humility. It's a word we, we hate. Humility. Who am I? In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And so while the world goes, Hey, Brian, you're amazing. Have this plaque. So that everybody else can see just how... Oh, you guys can't see the plaque. So that everybody else can see just how amazing you are. God says, that doesn't matter. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Yes, Paul will go on in a few verses, and we'll deal with this, to show that our thoughts of ourselves are always in relation to God and to others. And we'll look a little deeply at that in the next few weeks. But this first, but here in verse 3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. 
Please note, Paul is not saying that we are not to ever think about ourselves. One of Paul's themes in many of his letters is that precisely we should think about ourselves. But always in relation. Always in relation to God and to others. What Paul is saying is don't have an overinflated sense of self. Don't have an overinflated ego or, or an overinflated sense of your worth to the rest of the world around you. When you're long gone, when I'm long gone, the world will not remember us. Therefore, don't have this overinflated sense of self. Don't think of yourself more than what you really are. Don't walk around with these egos, these desires to build and to amass and to have everyone bowing down. Paul is challenging his readers to contemplate their own humility. So let me ask, just how humble are you? And of course, if you've ever posted something on social media with hashtag humble, that's probably a good sign you're not particularly humble. Someone once said that humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. But I would like to suggest that in our world these days, humility is both thinking less of yourself and thinking of yourself less. Now, if you're in a life group that discusses the sermon questions, I've just word for word read off one of the questions you're going to be discussing this week. I'd love to be able to take it further with all of us. But I would suggest that our world is so overrun and overwhelmed with narcissism and, and selfishness and ego that humility is both thinking less of ourselves and thinking of ourselves less. Now, I know someone might go, but Brian, didn't Jesus himself say that, you know, we're to love others like we love ourselves? Isn't there this idea that I, I do need to take care of myself? Well, yes, of course. And this is why even a few weeks ago I spoke about mental health and, and the need for addressing that. Even scripture does tackle that and we'll look at it again. But when I think about Jesus saying love others as you love yourself, he is not expressly focusing on self. In fact, in Matthew chapter 22 and Mark 12, where we quote that scripture, the English is a little misleading. Now, I'm not saying the English is wrong. It's just a little misleading from the Greek translation. You see, the object of that sentence is the other. Jesus is saying, love others. That's the object. The illustration of how you do that is consider yourself. And what Jesus is saying is most people don't really think about looking after themselves. It comes naturally. So we feed ourselves when we're hungry. If we get cold, we put a, a jacket on. If we get hot, we put a t-shirt on. We, we look after ourselves quite naturally. Nobody has to necessarily tell us. And so what Jesus is saying is, just as you naturally look after yourself, so you should naturally love others. That's the focus. Jesus is not saying, you know what? You've had a rough week. You need a pamper day. You need to go get a manicure or a pedicure. 
And, and I'm talking to everyone right now. Humility is what our world needs. We need to think less of ourselves. Sadly, we live in a time where narcissism is so prevalent, we don't even see it. And for those who perhaps are struggling with that word narcissism and, and what it is or, or what it means, the narcissism, the dictionary simply defines as an excessive preoccupation with self or an admiration of oneself, a personality disorder characterized by self preoccupation, need for admiration, and a lack of empathy. There's a a manual called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's known in the medical field just as the DSM. A previous version or a previous edition of the DSM referred to narcissism as a mental disorder. But they had to remove narcissism from the DSM Because the editors and the contributors realized everyone has this. And so there's no point trying to call it something. Because we all have it. Isn't that scary? We decided, hey, we've all got narcissism. The best thing to do is just take it out of the manual so we don't have to deal with it. How crazy is that? Shouldn't we be going, wait a minute, we all have a mental disorder. We're all focusing on self. We're all so obsessed with self that we've lost the plot. We no longer care for others. We don't care for the world around us. Let's deal with this. It has become prevalent. It overwhelms the world. And like I said right at the beginning, I think it adds and contributes to the conflict and the turmoil. And so Paul says to us, don't rewrite your medical books. Instead, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Remember that you too were once a sinner separated from God, but now you're righteous. The goal is now to go and share that good news with others, not look down on them as though they were less than you. The antidote for the turmoil is humility. You see, once I I know whose I am, that I am a child of God, created in His image, loved by God, liked by God, in relation, now I can start to address, who am I? Well, if I want to be right, I need to learn to walk with humility because it's not all about me. So how do I close off We're looking at being right all the time. And I've deliberately chosen that because it should cause a bit of mental dissonance. But I believe we can be right with God all the time because we're declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe we can be right with self when we understand whose we are and who we are. When we walk with a proper view of our identity, when we walk with humility, then we will learn to be right. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that through you and through our faith in you, we are declared right with God. 
We are righteous. When you look at us, you see your son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, you see wholeness. You see holiness. And we are justified. But Father, as we live in relation to you, so we, we live in relation to ourselves. And we live in a world where the order of the day is all about self. It's all about what I want, what I think I need. And when I'm feeling overwhelmed or tired or anxious or frustrated or angry, the world tells us, you need a you day. Whereas Jesus, your word tells us we need a God day. We need to come back and be reminded of whose we are. We're your child, loved and liked. And that as we walk as your child, so you call us to walk with humility. Knowing that when we're humble, it leads to peace. It leads to wholeness. And so, Father, as we continue to journey through Romans 12, knowing that we can't answer everything in one go, I pray that you would take these foundational thoughts and by your Holy Spirit, you would make them true and real within us and that they would shape the way we walk and live. For we would ask this in the name of Jesus, for your kingdom and your glory. Amen.